Psalm 21. The title of the message tonight is The King's Song. The King's Song. This is, of course, written by King David. And um, as was Psalm 20 that we, we studied last week. And this is um, Psalm 21 is now um, David, the king's, uh, his song to the Lord and uh, of his salvation, uh, the joy that came from God and all that he had done in David's life up to this point. And so we're going to dig into this. If you're there in your Bibles tonight, say amen. amen. Verse number one, the king shall have joy in your strength, O Lord, and in your salvation, how greatly he shall rejoice. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Selah. For you met For you meet him with blessings of goodness. You have set a crown of pure gold upon his head. He asked life from you, and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great in your salvation. Honor and majesty you have placed upon him. For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the mercy of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You shall make them as a fiery oven in the time of your anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth, and their descendants from among the sons of men, for they intended evil against you. They devised a plot which they are not able to perform. Therefore, you will make them turn their back, turn back. You will make ready your arrows and your string towards their faces. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. This psalm, of course, written by David, is a song that he, as king of Israel now, sitting in his rightful place on the throne of God's people, he wrote, and he, of course, is expressing his gratitude to God. We know that David had come out of a season of difficulty, of being on the run for his life, a fugitive, um, dealing with the enemy. And and, uh, so you can imagine, you know, that it had been seemingly a long season of, of, of darkness and, and the night. And, you know, it's, it's, it's proven, of course, that it's the darkest time of the night is right before the light comes up in the morning. And this is where David is now. He's now basking in the sunlight and in, in the, in the, uh, the victory, uh, victorious season now that he is stepping into. God had brought him through. He had kept his promises. As we just saw, his promise stood in David's life that he had been anointed and, and he had been appointed as the, the king of God's people. And so you can imagine that David is overwhelmed with gratitude. Overwhelmed with gratitude to God. I don't know if you've ever been there, but there are times in my life when I just have to sit back and, and I, my tears fill my eyes as I think of what he's brought me through to, to this season in my life. And I want you to understand David went through different seasons. This is a season of joy, but there are other dark seasons that David would have to navigate with God's help. But he's in this, this, this mountaintop of his lifetime, and but he is filled with gratitude to the one who kept him, to the one who appointed him king. And David expresses this gratitude in song. He was the sweet psalmist of Israel. You know what, man? It's 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 a tough. You, you're a real man when you can worship God, when you can sing to God, when you have a song in your heart for God. It's not it's not some feminine thing only, y'all. I want you to understand that. David was tougher than anybody probably in this room, but he spent much time in worship to God, writing psalms. Uh, he, of course, was skilled in playing musical instruments, and, and uh, David was the sweet psalmist of Israel. And he writes this psalm in this season, and it reflects what's going on in his life. 
I want you to notice, first of all, tonight in the King's song, it is a song of joy. The tone of this song is not melancholy. It is a song filled with joy. And you find this uh, throughout uh, David's life. He would go through the seasons of melancholy. He, he would write the sad songs, too. He said, God, where are you? And he, he was very in touch with his emotions. Um, Zuri, our youngest, I, I prayed for her all throughout the pregnancy when we find out we were going to have her. My prayer for her, and I have one for each one of my kids. And, and, um, and my desire, my, my prayer for her is that she'd be a worshiper, that she'd be a worship leader one day, that she'd be like a blessing up here. And, uh, and, um, I'm thankful Layla, our oldest, she loves to worship too, and she's learning, she knows how to play the piano and the guitar. And I'm just praying, you know, specifically for my kids, but I was praying for Zuri. And, um, but I've come to notice, I think God has answered that prayer because, you know, anytime we put worship on, she lights up. And she, she'll see her put her little hands out and you'll see her worship God. And, and uh, she's two years old. But with that worship, she's very emotional. She's very emotional. She's very in tune with her emotions. And she expresses herself uh, in ways, sometimes in tantrums. <laughs> but I think and I, I have to remind myself, man, I prayed for that. And I, and I think God is going to channel those emotions uh, to, to be in tune with him and to have a heart for him and to worship. And, and I was just thinking about that as I was, uh, for, for the, uh, the, you know, the fifth tantrum she'd had that day. I'm just, Lord, just, you know, I asked for this. So I just, you know, I'm, I show her a little bit too much grace probably. But I just, I want you to understand David, he was in tune with his, his emotions and it didn't make him feminine. Uh, he, he loved the Lord. And, and it showed in his emotions. And a lot of times we hear about it from the pulpit. Uh, hey, man, it's, it's okay to be emotional about God. You know, when my children were born, I, I, I cried. When, 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 when certain things uh, that overwhelm you with joy that God has done, it's okay to express emotion. And this is what he's doing. The song uh, that we, the song we just read is one of passion. And I want to ask you tonight this question. Is God your passion? I went to a, a, a Rams game, not a Rams, uh, it was the Chargers and the Broncos. I'm a Broncos fan, and we have a few in the church, some very spiritual men in this church. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Who love the Broncos? I see one over here, my brother right here, Sal. I mean, there's, there's others, too. We can hang out, you know. And, but we went to a Broncos game, and, and they were playing, of course, the Chargers, and they were getting spanked, I'm going to tell you this. And honestly, um, I'm not super, super passionate about football, but um, it just did something to me. I didn't like it. And But the people there all around us, they were all engaged. And the, I guess they were Chargers fam. And every every time that they did something, they were screaming. I mean, to the point where there was a guy behind me who was extra passionate. And every time they do something, he, yeah, he's screaming. He'd get loud. And, you know, he's drinking beer. And I'm, I'm feeling droplets. And he's screaming. And I'm feeling his, you know, the spit coming from his mouth. He was, he was all engaged in that game, and he was very passionate about the Chargers. And I'm telling you, um, and some of you men, I know if I put you in front of the TV and it's your team and, and someone does something great, you're going to you're gonna get up and high five and you're going to, you know, the last second buzzer beater, you know, <laughs> or whatever, you're going to scream. And, and I've been there too. And, and in seasons of my life, uh, I've been more inclined to scream for that than for what we just uh, sung a moment ago, his grace and his promises and his blood and the sacrifice of Jesus. And I want you to ask yourself, this question tonight are you passionate for God or is the passion waning and if the passion is dying at the fire has not been stoked I want to encourage you tonight to uh, revisit what God has done in your life to remind yourself of the promises that he has brought to pass in your life and and what you're also claiming for him to do in the future and and who he is and, and what he has done I want you to understand that we are called to be passionate about God we are not called to just be uh just super casual when it comes to the living God we're called to love him with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our mind. Passion isn't forced. 
When I met my wife, I immediately fell in love. It was love at first sight. And I was passionate. And you know what it caused me to do? I began to pursue her. I began to go through the drive through at McDonald's. I began to ask people who may know her. I began to, I stalked her for a good season. And I remember the day that I saw her uh, standing outside the movies there, uh, uh, you know, on, on Avenue I, the movies, Cinemark. And I, this was my opportunity. And, and I went into the group of all of her girls and I singled her out. Say, hey, what's your name? <laughs> because I was passionate. And I'm telling you, when you get passionate about God, you'll start to pursue him like so. You might come to 6.30 a.m. prayer and worship. You might, you might stick around and go to the prayer room afterwards. You might, get, uh, you might rearrange your, your life schedule so that you can spend time in his presence. And as we sung a moment ago, you know, is it really true when we sing it that we are a lover of his presence? David was, he, 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 he was truly a lover of God's presence. I think he learned to love God in the solitude time out with the sheep and the, his, his father's few sheep in the wilderness and spending time with God. And he learned to, to worship God, write these psalms. And, and so the tone of this song is one of passion. I read this quote from Spurgeon. It says, the shoutings of the early Methodists in the excitement of the joy of the Lord were far more pardonable than our own lukewarmness. Our joy should have some sort of inexpressibleness in it. Spurgeon said, hey, I would rather be around a whole bunch of hooligans who are hyped up and, and on fire for God, who can't, uh, who can't hold back the, the praise for God. And, and, you know, I love it in here. And I, I'm not, I know sometimes we could be overzealous and I know sometimes it can be forced, but I love it in here when I, I hear, uh, people scream out, uh, Jesus. And when they start to get, uh, pumped up and worship, I, I love that. That does something, uh, for me because I, I understand, uh, that Jesus is to be worshipped. I understand that there should be passion when it comes to that uh, expression of our love for God. And I want you to understand this is what David is starting this song off. And he says, the king shall have joy in your strength. I want you to see he is expressing uh, his joy in the amazing power of God, the amazing power of our God. David had seen it in the in the season that he just come out, how God's supernatural provision and protection uh, allowed him to one day step foot into uh, the palace there. And all odds were against David ever stepping foot in that position because the most powerful man in Israel wanted him dead. The enemy surrounded Israel and Israel was not in a, a position of power and prominence at this point. But God had kept David and now he was going to step into this role uh, of being the king of, of his people and he was of course uh, marveling at the strength of the Lord because now he would go into battle and he would see his enemies fall to his right and his left. He said I'm not afraid uh, of 10,000 if God is with me. He got to see the glory and the power of God and so he is with joy in his heart he is rejoicing as he thinks about the, the strength of God and I want to remind somebody in here tonight maybe you've been saved for a while. Maybe it seems like Things are getting stagnant in your walk with God, but I want you to understand that the power of God isn't limited. He hasn't changed. He still is a miracle worker. He still is a promise keeper. He still has a plan and a purpose for your life. And I want to encourage you, uh, look at God, not at your circumstances. Look at his strength and find joy in who he is. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. And I want to encourage somebody with that tonight. David looked at God's amazing power and his strength and his salvation, how he had preserved and kept him and he rejoiced in his heart. God's power, it's amazing. And, and it was on display in David's life. And I don't know about you, as we sung that song, Oceans, tonight, you know, I just couldn't help but say that, you know, to pray in my heart, God, I want my trust in you to be without borders. I want to go into battle Believing you, God. I want to, I don't want to live a saved 
a safe, comfortable type of Christianity that there is no risks where I cannot see the victory of God or his hand is supernatural enabling. And I, 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 I was just thinking about that. You, you're not going to see the miracle, uh, the power, the, 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 the full extension of the hand of God in our lives if we aren't stepping out into the work of God, into the, uh, the will of God. And, and that's not comfortable. That oftentimes is uncomfortable. That oftentimes needs to, uh, need be so that our faith could be strengthened. And this is what David was able to declare. I've seen your salvation. I've seen you move, like the song says. I've seen you move mountains, and I believe that you'll do it again. And this is what David is uh, marveling in. He finds joy in it, the amazing power of God. But I want you to see not only did he find joy in the power of God, but also in the answered prayer that God had done in his life. I want you to see verse number two. He says, you have given him, speaking of himself, his heart's desire. His heart's desire. He, he, and the rest of the verse says, and have not withheld the request of his lips. David, he prayed many things and, and he prayed, of course, the things that was on his heart. And I believe they were within the will of God. You see, David was a man after God's own heart. He loved the Lord. And so his desires, I truly believe, were aligned with the will of God. And I can't, I can't express this enough, church family. Oftentimes our prayers go unanswered because they are not aligned with the heart of God. I read this quote today. It says, every Christian should know the thrill of frequent, wonderful answer to prayer. When a Christian does not enjoy the blessing of answered prayer, it is because he is either prayerless or he is praying wrongly or there is some hindrance in his prayer life. And I was, uh, you know, I thought that was very telling. You know, many times we pray outside the will of God. We make our plans and then we ask God to bless it. I've been there in my life where I've gotten ahead of God. I've become presumptuous. And I said, God, this is what I'm going to do. Please bless it. And then when he doesn't show up, I start to cry. Like, who's serving who? How do we pray? I believe David prayed aligned with God's will. And so his heart was aligned with God. The Bible says uh, in Psalm 37, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, that he will give us the desires of our heart. And I think more than anything else, David wanted the glory of God. He wanted the will of God for his life. He wanted uh, God's name to be famous. He didn't care about his name. He didn't care about his glory. He wanted God's glory. And oftentimes we pray uh, like we want our kingdom to be built. We want our finances to only be blessed. We want uh, our kids to have it easy. We want Uh, the things that we think would be best, but God knows what's best. He knew David had to go through the season he had to go to prior to this before he stepped into uh, his role as king. Uh, God is sovereign. He understands things that we don't, we can't even comprehend. And, And I want you to understand David's prayers were answered because I believe they were aligned with the will of God. I want to ask you, what does your prayer life look like? Are you prayerless? Are you praying wrongly? Uh, is there a hindrance in your prayer life? Has sin come into your life? Oh, there are many things that can hinder our prayer. I, I'm just going to list a few. Not abiding in Christ, not having a, uh, a deep-rooted relationship with God will hinder our prayers. Unbelief will hinder our prayers. Failure to fast will hinder our prayers. I want to say that again. Failure to fast will hinder our prayer. I dare say that most Christians, most Christians today, Never go a couple days without eating food. I know people who are dealing with, with, with diagnosis, uh, who are dealing with prodigals, who are dealing with divorce looming, who are dealing with all these other major things that they need God to move in, yet they're not willing to deny the flesh. They're not willing to fast. That may be the, the answer for some of us tonight. Men, husbands, you know, if you are honoring your wife, your prayers will be hindered. I'm going to say that again. 
It's real quiet in here. Women, you can say amen. <laughs> Men, do you know if you aren't loving your wife right, that will hinder your prayer life? <laughs> Selfish praying, we heard of in James, of course. Not asking, you have not because you ask not. Disobedience, that will fall into the category of sin. Uh, unconfessed sin, James 5 talks about your prayer being hindered. Um, passionless prayer in James 5, the Bible says the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. That fervent, hot prayer life. And none of us in here tonight are satisfied with our prayer life. I'll, I'll be the first to say that. But we should be striving in that. Unforgiveness from uh, someone in, who's harmed, who's hurt you or whatever in your life. Pride will hinder your prayer. Uh, there's so much I can keep going. And, and you know what? There is nothing worse than a prayerless, a, a powerless Christian. And it can oftentimes be traced back to a powerless prayer life. I, don't, I told the Lord, I never, ever want to step into this pulpit again without your power. I, I will tell the worship team, I'm not ready. Can you guys worship tonight? I promise you, because prayer, I, I, we need God. I don't just need God for this, and, and, but you need God to be a mom. You need God to be a dad today. You need God to be that public school teacher. You need God to be that administrator. You need God. And you are not going to get a hold of God unless you are praying, unless you have that communication with him, a prayer life. And David was rejoicing because he did, of course, pray. He did see the hand of God answering his prayer. He, he, he did see God give him his heart's desire and that God did not withhold from him the request of his lips. So David's song of joy is because of God's amazing power and answered prayer. The end of um, verse 2, there's a, the term there, Selah. And of course, that's found often in the, the Psalms and in the Old Testament as well. And it speaks of a reflective pause, uh, like a, a time where you ought to uh, pause and meditate on the words that were just spoken. So David is he's he's taking a moment to 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 reflect on who God is and what he's done and the prayers that he's answered. David, what did he pray for? He prayed for blessing, for God's hand to be on him. I want you to see verse number three. For you meet him with the blessings of goodness. The blessings of goodness and it was often said of David that he behaved himself wisely and that the hand of God, that God's hand was upon him, that God was with him. When you hear about David, all he's one of my favorite uh, people in the Bible. And, and, and oftentimes you'd hear this attached to David that the Lord was with him. His blessing, whatever David touched, because he loved the Lord, he was blessed. God blessed him. God knows tonight who loves him. And on that person, he will put his hand on them. Just mark my words. Oftentimes, we don't see the fullness of God's hand on our lives because our hearts is not fully engaged with him. He goes on verse 6, he talks about the blessing again. For you have made him the most blessed forever. Blessed. And you know that another translation of that word is happy or joy. Remember that the, the theme of this, this psalm is joy. I've learned this. I've heard of Christians in third world countries who, who sleep on, in dirt huts who have more joy than some of you in your 3,000 square foot house. Mm. We, we start to find our Joy in the things of this world. We start to allow the, the culture to influence us and, and, and we aren't happy unless we have such and such and such. But David, he truly, he was content to just be out in the wilderness with a few sheep and God. But God saw his heart for him. And then he said, that's somebody who I can elevate. 
That's somebody who has a heart for me. I can make him the king of my people. And I want you to understand, this is what David said. He said, look at, look at the rest of verse number three. He says, you have set a crown of pure gold upon his head. So this is speaking of him as the king. He says, you, you put this crown uh, on me. You, you allow me to sit on the throne of your people, the special nation of Israel. I, I wear the crown of victory not only as king of Israel, but I'm also uh, seeing your hand in, in victory after victory. You know, David went on a, a spree of victory after victory in battle once he took the throne and his kingdom. We learned that people that uh, from far and wide uh, would, would show homage to God's people, that they would serve the king who people who he never met they would bow and subservient to king david because of why he was blessed and i want you to understand that not only was he blessed but those after him we know solomon solomon would have seen his dad's testimony would have seen his his life and um not a perfect life but solomon when he was to ascend to the throne. What did he ask the Lord for? He said, I want want wisdom to to lead your people, God. He could ask for anything. And God was pleased with him. And what did he do to Solomon? He gave him wisdom like none other. And then with that, he added in wealth and, and all other types of blessing and I'm telling you, more than you need that promotion, more than you need <laughs> that retirement, more than you need anything, I'd rather have a little with the blessing of God any day of the week. Because there's where the joy is. I'm thankful I can pillow my head every night, knowing I'm in the will of God, knowing that I'm doing what he's called me to do. And there's no softer pillow. There's no greater joy. And I I want you to understand, David had come to see this, and he he had he was experiencing the blessings of the Lord, but he also, of course, asked for God's presence. I want you to see verse number four. He asks life from you, and um, he says, "And you gave it to him, and lent the days forever." And uh, in verse number six, the end of it is where he talks about God's presence. It says, you have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. So David asked for long life, and he asked for God to be with him, for God's presence. And this was evident that God answered this. David did live a long life. And David, even though he was a man of war, he, 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 was, he never succumbed to the end of any man's sword or any arrow or any attempt of insurrection, even from his own household. David, he lived to a, a ripe old age, and then he went with his fathers. He, the Bible says that David served his generation, and then he went to sleep peacefully. And I've learned this. When you live your whole life for the Lord, when you love the Lord, uh, I believe that he, uh, he loves to honor uh, your request. And David asked for a long life, and, and God obliged him because his heart was right. And I don't know what you're praying for. I don't know if you want to have a long life, and I don't, I don't know how uh, this all works out because not everyone will live a long life, but I want you to understand that it is more likely that your requests are answered if you love the Lord, if you have a heart for him. So he, uh, of course, but then he said the presence of God. As I said a moment ago, David was uh, described as a man where God was with him, that the presence of God was always something that he experienced. And, and you remember when he said, and he said, God, take not thy heart. Holy Spirit from me. Uh, he, he said, I, I want to have the joy of my salvation again. And David knew when he messed up, he knew how to repent. He knew how to humble himself and go to the Lord. And if you study it out, David never repeated the same sin. He did a lot of things, but he never repeated. He never went back into the same sin because when he repented, he really, truly repented. And I want you to understand this tonight. When you love the Lord with all your heart, you do not want to disrupt the fellowship with him for any reason. Now, none of us are going to be sinless. 
None of us will reach perfection this side of eternity, but we all should be striving not to grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives, to, to, to foster a life in a heart where God's presence can, can be comfortable, where God can, can be involved. And it always is a telling thing when Christians uh, live their lives and they are involved in activities and, and they're pride-filled and they're arrogant and there are all these other things that the Bible clearly says that God hates. That God is resisting the proud. That God is, he, he doesn't give grace to those who are prideful and his presence and his, his, his blessing can't be on that type of life. And David, of course, he could sing this song because he lived it. He also said that God's favor was with him as he prayed for God's favor. And I, I spoke of this, you know, God's favor. You ever feel God's favor on you? I, I, I don't know. I say this to myself. I, sometimes I feel like God's favorite. You know, I feel like, God, you're just so good to me. I feel your favor in my life. And, and others see it. And God, you know, anytime I, you know, I start to maybe struggle or something, God will send someone to speak life into me and remind me, hey, you're doing what you're supposed to do. The other day he sent a homeless man to do that. <laughs> He'll use who he wants to use. His favor. I remember I was preaching in Tennessee. My, one of the few trips that I made without the family when we were getting ready to, to, to plant the church in L.A. And, and uh, we had just moved to L.A. And we got a little, little, uh, little apartment off of uh, Eucalyptus Avenue and no air conditioning. And, and it, <laughs> I mean, we were, we were just trying to serve the Lord. I remember the first day we moved in and my wife was off at her favorite place and uh, Target, you know, and <laughs> getting some things for the house. And she took the kids with her. And it's just me in the apartment. I remember just hearing I heard across the street literally shooting. Bah, bah, bah. I didn't tell her when she came home. <laughs> we just moved into this neighborhood that would not settle her. But anyhow, we're in the hood in Inglewood and, and uh, <laughs> we're just, we're trying to, Win people to Christ, and and um, you know, I don't know. I was just a little discouraged, but anyways, I I, I was invited to come preach at a church in, in Tennessee. I got there and I, I preached, and and um, you know, God, He just He He just blew in on that thing. I remember that service. It was a church where they worshipped, and it was it was a good day. And this little this little old lady comes up to me afterwards, and she was like, "Oh, so you preach, preach, huh?" And uh, are you from the South? I'm like, I'm, my family's from the South. And, and she, yeah, I remember that. Because I, honestly, I preached on Sunday morning. I preached on hell. And, um, and um, yeah, but anyways, but she came up to me and, you know, we were struggling. We were just getting this apartment and we had exhausted a lot of the little funds that we had. And, you know, I'm just trusting God. I'm just, honestly, the devil got on my shoulder and just like, this isn't going to work. What are you doing? And, and I was a little discouraged. And so this little lady comes up to me. I'm over there preaching and, and she shakes my hand and she has a check inside of her hand. It's like, Hey, God told me to, to give this to you. And, and, um, and um, it was a pretty large check. And she said, I want you to go home. And God just wanted me to uh, tell you that keep doing, keep keep preaching, keep uh, serving him. And, and I just want to encourage you. I don't want you to spend this on, on ministry. I want you to spend it on your family. And so uh, I remember, you know, I was just so encouraged by that. And then I got home and, and I remember what I, you know, what we really wanted was a TV. You wanted a TV. We didn't have a, a TV. And um, so I was able to go over to, to Costco and, and get, at the time, the biggest screen that I had ever had in my life. It was 55-inch screen, you know, flat screen. And um, brought that thing home. And we used that thing in church and for ministry. And, and I was thinking about it because today I was able to just pass that TV on and bless it on to somebody else. And I was just thinking, I was reminded of just God's favor on my life. And I could tell you hundreds of stories like that where just God will use 
people just to speak a word or to, to sow a gift or, or to do something just to remind me that his hand, he's still with me. And I don't know about you tonight. Maybe it's been a while, but I want to encourage you. God sent me here tonight to encourage someone. Uh, you have a heart for God. You, you're a worshiper. You love him. And, and, and he says, I see that. And my favor is on you. It may not always show up in the ledger. It may not always show up in the bank account, but I'm for you. I'm with you. I love you. And I'm not done with you. And I I want to encourage somebody here tonight. David prayed for God's blessing, for his presence, for long life, for his favor. And David saw every one of those prayers answered because his heart was for God. And I want to see secondly tonight. This is also a song of judgment. Look, David, he... <laughs> He goes on into this song and he talks about those who do not love God, the enemies of God. I want you to see it. Verse 8. Your hand will find all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. Those who hate you. I want you to understand something. The Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. I know there's some truth to this statement, but I, I, I've been struggling. You know, I don't know if this is me, but you guys have all heard the statement, God, you know, hate the sin and love the sinner, right? <laughs> right? And um, we say that that's what God does. He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. But honestly, in my study in the word of God, God does love the world. We know that. He's a, he's a God of love. But the Bible says that he's angry with the sinner. And the Bible also says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But it also says that those, the nation that turns from him, that they will be turned to hell. You see, this is dichotomy. There's, this, there's, there's two sides to this coin. And God, you can't put him in a box and, and, and we can't paint him as this cosmic Godfather in heaven who's just doting and, and, and he's not seeing sin. There are people who hate God. And he's angry with the wicked. And David is expressing this. He's saying that you will find all your enemies and your right hand uh, will find those uh, who hate you. And he, he's, he's expressing that God will judge the world who, who, who hates him, the, the culture who hates him. This is why we are constantly saying about America right now that America better repent. Our culture is mocking God in historic ways. The blood of 60 million babies are on our hands image bearers of God. Oh, we live in a day where they have mocked and perverted everything that God has said wholesome. I'm talking about marriage. I'm talking about sexuality. Anything that you can think about the world, America has turned their back on God and put their fists in his face and said, we don't care what your word says. We don't care who you think you are, God. We're going to do it our way. And this is why it's revival or bust for this nation. And this isn't fun because I live here. I love America. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I didn't have a heart for, for souls, for America. And I'm telling you, uh, this culture is mocking God and it never bodes well. God will find them out. You know, if God doesn't, if we don't repent and God does not judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Solomon Gomorrah. This is no light thing. We, this culture has tried to remove God. They've, they've done everything they can to, out of every uh, area of this nation to try to remove God. They, do, they will not be accountable to God, but they don't realize that, that they don't have a choice in the matter. As we sung a, a moment ago, when all hell, King Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. You either bow to him now or you'll bow to him later. You'll either uh, 
come to him as Lord and Savior or you'll see him as the righteous judge. And I'm telling you, this nation better wake up. We better wake up, America, because we're heading to hell in a handbasket. And God, he's been very patient with us. He's been very forbearing with this nation. But I'm telling you, we're seeing his hand come off of us, aren't we? We're seeing things go up, inflation. We're seeing uh, the border. We're seeing all these other things happening. Nations are coming up against us. They're being emboldened because we have weak leadership who hate God. I'm telling you, this is not bold well for America. Church, we got to wake up. We've got to get back to the prayer meeting. We've got to wake up because we live in a culture that mocks God. And I know you say, this will never really be a Christian nation again. And I don't know, but I've read of the first and second great awakenings where God took a perverted culture in in this country before and he turned it right side up. And he didn't use a majority to do so. Our nation is mocking him. And it's seen through our culture. I was watching a video, uh, rapper Kendrick, and he, he came out with a video and a new song, and he's talking about the culture, you know, even the hip-hop culture. And some of you in here still are involved with that, and I want you to understand that much of that is demonic. What is it promoting? It's degrading women, violence, drugs, you know, just you name it. And he's talking about, uh, you know, he's not saying it directly, but he's saying the culture. Who made this culture where we are talking about shooting each other up, where we're talking about uh, degrading and using women, objectifying women, and, and who made this culture? I'll tell you who made this culture. His name is Satan. He doesn't love uh, any of us. He hates uh, humans. And I want you to understand, he is, and people, the world, it seems like the world is waking up to this. And, and when is the church going to wake up to this and stop trying to be buddy-buddy with the culture? Oh, it's funny how uh, the devil has his churches and his preachers who will align and, and, and propagate, uh, you know, for people who don't love God. I, I'm going to get in trouble. But it's been really, really quiet since 2020, huh? Here we are two years later, look at things. And the same people, we, you know, Christians, who were very, very vocal when BLM was burning down cities. Now it's like crickets. We have Christian, Christian artists. I'll name one. Lecrae, I I listened to him. I I can't really rock with them anymore because he was uh, in Georgia promoting uh, candidates who who are for the slaughter uh, of, of innocent children in the womb. And now they're real quiet. When we see the agenda being pushed, when we're seeing the demonic response to the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned, they're real quiet. Why? Because they care more about the culture. They want to be aligned with the culture. They want to be politically correct. They want to be invited to the Grammys. They want to be in the parties. They want to have the revenue. They want to, they're in love with this world. And I'm telling you, you can't serve two masters. I don't care. I've said it from this pulpit. You can cancel me. But you can't cancel Jesus. <laughs> I'm telling you. And his truth will win. He will search out those who hate him. I was reading about Marilyn Monroe. One day during filming, Billy Graham showed up. And uh, he said this, the spirit of God sent me here to preach to you. She listened. She listened for a while, and when he had finished, she said these words, I don't need your Jesus. A week later, she was found dead in her bedroom. John Lennon. He said this, Christianity will end, and 
it, it will disappear and I do not have to argue about that. I am certain uh, Jesus was okay, but his subjects were just too simple. Today, we, the Beatles, are more famous than him and we know how he died tragically. Somebody came and shot him and took his life early. I'm telling you, when you mock God, when you reject God, when you are aligned with this culture, I'm telling you, there are dire consequences to that. And I, I, I don't even want to think about how many people in our culture today, uh, in our nation today, are without Christ. And if they die, they will spend eternity separated from him. And I'm telling you, this is no laughing matter. We've got to wake up, folks. We've got to get back to the prayer meeting. We've got to get back to having a tear in our eye for those who don't know Jesus. we got to wake up out of our slumbering, uh, our, our, our apathetic uh, lives, uh, just walking through the, the Christian culture of America. We've got to get back to seeing things like Christ does. This culture is, is set up by the enemy who hates him and, and those who also hate him. And David says, you're going to find them out. And it says, you shall, verse 9, you shall make them as a fiery oven. Listen to this language. This is very strong language. Yes, that he's using like a fiery oven. You know, recently they did find Sodom and Gomorrah, and they, and they found rocks that were scorched. Till this very day, you won't, you won't see it a lot on mainstream media. They don't want to confirm what the Bible has already, you know, shown to be true. You will make them as a fiery oven in your time of anger. The Lord shall swallow them up in his wrath, and the fire shall devour them. Listen to this. Their offspring you shall destroy from the earth. He's going to, those who hate him, he's going to cut off their line. Their offspring won't even be inhabiting the earth. He says, and their descendants from among the sons of men. And he gives a reason, for they intended evil against you. They hated God. No one is neutral. I'm finding this to be true. No one is neutral when it comes to God. You either love him or you hate him. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Jesus said it, men love darkness because their deeds are evil. They will not come to the light because the light will reprove them. And, and, and we see it in our culture. They're coming for Christians now. Didn't we say this would be the, the you know, eventually it would come to our, our doorstep, right? Because these were always, this was always a spiritual battle. And they started, they, they, they started over here and they moved it all the way over here. They started with little issues. And now they're bombing pro-life clinics. Now they're, they're down in L.A. at Catholic churches and interrupting services. And I saw a video where women were outside of a church and they're wearing white robes and with blood around their midsection. And the church had to have security in front of, I'm telling you guys, this is, this is, we're in it. This is demonic. And there's people who hate God and everyone who will stand for what is righteous. They intend evil and they plot. The Bible says, verse 11, they devised a plot which they are not able to perform. I love you guys picked a perfect set list tonight because who can stop the Lord Almighty? They can plan, they can scheme, they can plot, they can do everything they can. But I'm telling you, they can't stop what God's going to do. And I truly believe that he is going to, uh, he's going to wake up the church. There is going to be revival and it's going to sweep this nation. I truly believe it. And the plans that they devise will, will fall to not. And I want you to just find hope in that. Be encouraged in that. And then he verse, then David says in verse 12, therefore you will make them turn their back. You will make ready 
your arrows on your string and toward their faces. And it just this is a picture of what how God is going to execute judgment on those who hate him. And, and I want you to understand this. We shouldn't wish this upon anybody. We should truly uh, intercede on behalf of this land. You see, what did God look for when the nation had turned their back on him? He said, I sought for a man to stand uh, in the gap. I sought for someone to stand in between. I sought for a man with a heart like mine who who would go before me, who would seek my face, who would fast even, who would would pray. And and hopefully uh, maybe uh, a man I could use to go to a culture like that. And I'm telling you, this is what we need to be. I'm praying that this would be a church filled with men and women like this. You don't leave here upset and angry at those who are our enemies of God. You don't leave here uh, wanting to see the fire of God fall. And I remember when the disciples had that spirit and Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of. Call down fire from heaven. Write the dust off your feet, Jesus. Let's, let's get out of here. They're rejecting you. And what did Jesus say? You don't even know what spirit you're of. I didn't come for that. I came to save. God wants reconciliation more than he wants judgment. This is why we are still sitting in this country. This is why this country has not yet been destroyed because God's heart is for reconciliation and that should be our heart too. It should burden you uh, that people around us, uh, oftentimes most of the people around us are lost. And I want you to know that God loves every one of those people. He does. He has a heart for every one of those people. He died for every one of those people and it should, it should uh, cause us to pray to seek his face, to ask him to use us. But there will come a day when God says to a nation, I believe it, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And he will judge. But I I love that you see throughout the Bible When God had determined that he was going to judge, there was, there were times where he changed his mind. When the people repented, when when there was a spiritual change, I'm telling you, God stayed his hand of judgment. And I'm just praying that for this nation. This is what I pray because I have kids. You know? I don't want my kids kids to grow up in a nation where the hand of God's judgment is. And like Abraham, we learned on Sunday, pastors preaching, Abraham interceded for Lot. He, he, he said, will you judge the righteous with the wicked? And that's often my prayer. That's often what I'm saying to God. God, revive us again. We don't, God, will you judge the, the righteous with the wicked? David, his song was a song of joy. He was filled with gratitude and passion for God, for all that God had done in his life. And his amazing power, he answered prayer that he saw, but he also spoke of judgment for those who hated God. Tonight, you know, we've, we've got to understand who God is. David understood God's nature, his holiness. He, he understood him. And we too need to understand him. We also should have joy in who he is, but we also should have a holy fear for him and and seek his face for this nation because without revival, there is no hope. And uh, But I want you to see David ends on a good note. He says, be exalted, O Lord, verse 13, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. Be exalted and Ultimately, that was David's life's desire to see God exalted. And uh, that should be our heart's desire, that God, you be exalted in my life. You be exalted, and uh, God will honor that.